Good morning, church family. Greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God for this wonderful opportunity that we um, have to gather together in this way, to have the freedom afforded to us so that we can come together um, and hear his word without any disturbances from our government. Um, it's a privilege that we need to take advantage of as we also think about um, our brothers and sisters who do not uh, have that privilege themselves. Let me welcome uh, our visitors if there are any visitors. Um, we have been going through the gospel according to Mark. We've covered the first uh, seven chapters. Um, we concluded chapter seven last week. We start this week with chapter eight, and we're looking at verse uh, one to verse nine. So uh, Mark chapter um, eight, verse one to verse nine, and the title of today's sermon is Jesus, our savior who cares. Jesus, our Savior, who cares. Mark chapter 8, verse 1 to 9. I read from the ESV. Follow me as we hear God's word. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them um, have come far, from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread um, here in this desolate place? And he, he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them, and they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces, left over seven baskets full, and they were about... Um, for a thousand people and he sent them away and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Um, Dal Let us uh, pray. This is God's word. Indeed, Lord, it is your word. As we draw near to you, the desire of our hearts is to truly hear you, to hear your voice speak to our hearts to um, quiet down our weary hearts, to grant us hope when we are feeling hopeless, to remind us indeed of your care. Help us, O oh God, to hear your word, and not only to hear it, but to delight in it, to walk in it, to glorify you because of it. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. You've noticed that Jesus um, has gone into 
Gentile territory. Even in this passage that we find ourselves in, Jesus is still in a Gentile country. He has been trying to teach his disciples the truth that no person in the world is off limits to the gospel message. As religious Jews, the disciples would have been raised, um, you know, raised up to consider Gentiles to be off limits, to consider Gentiles to not be people that deserve to hear the gospel. They would have been taught that they should not have any contact with someone who was not a Jew. Jesus wanted his man to understand that he came into the world to save people wherever they might be found. To drive this truth home uh, to them, Jesus took them into a predominantly Gentile area. First, he healed the daughter of a Canaanite woman. Then he healed a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment. Remember that last week? As soon as that miracle is accomplished, Jesus began to teach the people the word of God. When, when this passage opens, Jesus has been teaching this multitude for three days. Imagine that. He has been teaching for three days. We hear someone for 90 minutes and we think the pastor has gone crazy. <laughs> he has been teaching these people for three days. They have sat under the teaching of Jesus. When he is finished and Jesus is ready to send the multitudes away, he acknowledges the fact that the people have no food. He cannot send them away fasting. If he does, he knows that some might faint from hunger as they headed toward their homes. So Jesus does what he did earlier in his ministry. Remember that in Mark chapter 6, verse 34 to 44, he fed the hungry multitude through a powerful miracle. So in the same way, something of 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 that nature it happens as well. Now, if you compare this story with, with that one in, in Mark chapter 6, you will see that there are a couple of similarities. Now, let me highlight some of these similarities between these stories. First of all, both miracles involved huge crowds, right? There were huge crowds that were guarded um, to come to Jesus. Both miracles, secondly, took place in a location where no food was available. Both miracles, in both miracles, Jesus used a small amount of food to feed a whole lot of people. Again, both miracles involved the use of bread and fish. In both miracles, Jesus involved the disciples. And in both miracles, the disciples doubted the Lord's ability to meet the need. And in both miracles, Jesus asked the questions. The question, how many loaves do you have? Again, in both miracles, the, 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 Jesus took what he had, thanked God for it, and broke it. In both miracles, the bread and the fish multiplied in the hands of Jesus. In both miracles, the crowds were entirely satisfied after they, eat, they ate. In both miracles, the large amount of food was left over. So you can see some of these similarities between these two uh, uh, narratives that uh, 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 Mark tells. But while there are many similarities between these stories, there are also several differences between this miracle and the first that occurred of this nature. 
first of all, the number of people fed in this miracle is different. Uh, when he fed people, Mark tells us in chapter 6 that it was 5,000 uh, uh, men. Versus in this passage, it is 4,000. The amount of bread as well used in this miracle is different. Here we see five loaves versus, uh, we, we see uh, seven loaves versus the five loaves that were used at that time. Again, the uh, amount of food left over in this miracle is different. We um, saw in the first miracle 12 small baskets versus now seven large baskets. That the first miracle uh, took place after a day of teaching. The second miracle takes place after three days of teaching. In the first miracle, Jesus was motivated by spiritual needs, the, 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 the spiritual needs that the crowd uh, needed. And uh, in, in this miracle, Jesus is motivated by the physical needs. And I'll tell you that um, even if, uh, as, as I continue showing you the differences, that our, our Lord is a holistic savior, isn't it? He is holistic. He provides for us spiritually and he provides for us physically. Now, another difference is that the, the, the first miracle was performed using food from an outside source in, uh, when you look at John chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, but in this miracle, it appears that Jesus used what the disciples already possessed. The first miracle was designed to teach the disciples that Jesus was the bread of life for the Jews. Right? The, the second miracle is designed to teach them that Jesus is the bread of life for the world. Above all, these miracles reveal that Jesus is the Savior who cares. He's our caring Savior. It teaches us that he cares about the spiritual side of our lives. He also cares about the material side of our lives. I would uh, like us to examine this miracle today. As we do, I want to teach um, and look at uh, the fact that Jesus is our caring Savior. Uh, first of all, what we see, we, we see the multitude and their need here. These people have been with Jesus for three days. They are having an old-fashioned camp meeting, and Jesus is doing the preaching. Now, now the teaching has ended, and Jesus is ready to dismiss the service. He knows that the people have used up all their food and have nothing to eat on their journey to their homes. Now, when you look at verse 3, according to verse 3, some of the people had traveled a long distance to hear Jesus. Remember in John chapter 6 when the disciples, the brother reminded me of this passage and I thought about it again when Jesus preached the heart message and the crowds left. And he looks at his disciples and he says, are you also going to leave with the crowds? And they say, where can we leave? You have the words of eternal life. These people, brothers and sisters, came from afar. They came from afar to hear Jesus. They, they came from afar to hear the words of life. They, they came from afar to, to, to see the Savior. That they came from afar to camp with the Lord for three days and, and to hear him 
teach them. Where else can we go? Where else can we go? Because he has the words of life. The words that encourage our hearts in the midst of discouragement. The words that draw us back to the Savior when we are straying away from him. The, the words that call us to repentance when we are walking in sin. The, the, the words that give us hope in, in the midst of hopelessness. The, the words that are light in the midst of darkness. They came to hear him. Now Jesus is done talking. This crowd of people had a common human need that they could not meet themselves. We all find ourselves in the same predicament from time to time. Right? There are times when we all have periods of physical, uh, you know, material need. And in all honestly, I sometimes hesitate to preach on physical and material needs. There's so much preaching that centers itself in that area in our time and age and, and, and preaching that is anti-biblical as well. But you need to know that God cares. You need to know that God cares for you. The, 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 the children of Israel lacked food and water as they journeyed in the wilderness. Right? We, we, we have all these similarities of physical needs sometimes. David faced a time when he had no food to eat. When you look at First uh, Samuel chapter 21, verse 3. Even Jesus knew the depths of poverty, hunger, and thirst. These are things he experienced. He also experienced unimaginable pain and suffering. We all know that in this world, we will experience suffering. If you are not experiencing suffering, you will experience suffering. If you, uh, you are either uh, about to get in suffering or you're about to, you are getting out of suffering. You know, we, we are in this life where this world is a world where we'll experience unimaginable pain. Most people in this room are familiar with the agony of physical pain. Most people know the uncertainty and problems that come with financial stress. Some have lived through the torture of emotional and spiritual problems. And nearly everyone here knows what it means to hurt and to, to, to hurt deeply. This is a common experience in this world. Solomon said it in this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. I wanted to uh, say it in the, in, in the, in the, um, the good news uh, version so that you, you hear it uh, uh, clearly here. He says, you work, and worry, uh, you work and worry your way through life, and what do you have to show for it? As long as you live, everything you do brings nothing but worry and heartache. Even at night, your mind can't rest. It is all useless. We do get to that point in life, right? where everything is vanity of vanities. Obviously, that is not the conclusion that <laughs> Solomon has um, at the, as he concludes Ecclesiastes. But he looks at life that to, to have all these things, and remember that Solomon had um, experienced all these things, right? He had um, experienced pleasure. Um, he had experienced 
uh, you know, good wines, he had experienced wealth, um, and, and, and so on and so forth. He had wisdom, right, experienced wisdom. But he looks at these things, and, and, and he comes to this realization that I think everyone uh, must come to. Now, I don't think, uh, I, I know that everyone must come to, is that uh, these things in and of themselves are useless when God is not in the picture. They are useless. They are meaningless. That is why you have people that have all the best things in the world according to the standard of the world, the best beds, the best houses, and they are still restless in those things. The most comfortable beds that you can think of, and they are still sleepless. It is only it is only when you know God that you know true rest. It is only when you have a relationship with God that you know true rest. As, as Augustine says in, in his book, The Confessions of Augustine, he says, uh, we are restless until we find our rest in you. We spend so much time Chasing the things of the world. We, we spend so much time trying to amass the things of the world. And unfortunately, unfortunately, there, there is even this so-called gospel that is calling people to say, God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to have it all. And we spend time making that the goal of our lives to secure the back as the generation of today says you can secure the back as much as you want to secure it but if there's no Christ that back will weigh you down up until hell see the crowd and their need and secondly Mark tends now and show us the master and his compassion. The master and his compassion. Now, in verse 2, he tells us that Jesus saw the crowds and knew their need. Oh, man. Sometimes I just wish I could preach on one way, eh? <laughs> he saw their the crowds. You see, Jesus does not treat us like faceless people in a crowd. Even in the midst of a crowd, Jesus still sees us as individuals. Jesus sees them. Isn't that amazing that Jesus sees? And he doesn't only see the outside, but he sees their need. Amen. Jesus sees their need. These people have been with him for three days. Now they are tired and hungry. He knows that they cannot possibly make the trip to their homes without dropping by the wayside from hunger. These verses tell us that Jesus says, I have compassion on them. Listen to those words. I have compassion on them. This means his heart went out to them. Compassion is sympathy coupled with a desire to help. He was not like, he did not look at them and say, Shem Toch. Ah, it's sad, man. 
his compassion, his, his, it was sympathy that was followed by a desire to want to remedy the situation, to, to want to help. He was moved by their need and decided to do something about it. Five times in the gospel it is recorded that Jesus was moved with compassion. That is the, the, what the writer of the gospel said about him. In this passage, Jesus says, I have compassion. This is a glimpse inside the heart of the Lord Jesus. He is telling his disciples that he sees a need and is determined to do something about it. And I praise the Lord that we serve a Savior who cares. Right? As First Peter chapter 5 verse uh, seven uh, calls us. He says we should cast all our anxieties on him because he does what? He cares for you. The word care used in, in first Peter chapter five verse seven has the idea of taking an interest in someone. Our Lord is interested in the things that affect your life. This kind of concern and compassion can be seen through the pages of the word of God. We serve a God who cares. And who among us would have cared about the needs of the nation of Israel? All they did was gripe, complain, and, and belly ache. Still, God cared about them. He gave them food and water. He was present with them. He subdued all their enemies. He performed miracle after miracle on their behalf. Who would have cared about a slave named Hagar and her son? God cared. He came to her personally and provided all she needed to survive her wilderness experience. Who would have cared about a gentle widow and her son who were starving to death? Well, God cared and sent the man of God to her house so that he might bless her and use her to meet the need of Elijah. Hundreds of people died every day in Israel while Jesus was, was there. Who would have cared if a man like Lazarus, a 12-year-old girl, or only, and the only son of a poor widow had died? Who would have cared? People were dying. Jesus cared. And he raised them all from the dead. Who would have cared if a bunch of God-rejecting, Christ-hating sinners died and went to hell? God cares. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for those sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It is as if Jesus is saying in that verse, God saw the world lost and in darkness and he cared. I praise the Lord that we serve a God who genuinely cares about the needs of his people. We should never hesitate to bring our needs before him. He knows our situation. He cares about the need, our needs. Psalm 34 verse 15 says to us, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. He cares about you. He invites us to come to him. Matthew 11, verse 28, right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We should heed his call and bring our needs 
to him. He will help us in time of our trouble. He is a high priest who sympathizes with us. He knows our deepest needs. Sometimes we think we know our deepest need, but he knows our deepest need more than we know our deepest need. Christ cares. And thirdly, I want to show you the miracle and its lessons. Having declared his desire to feed the multitude in verse 3, Jesus immediately went, uh, uh, met, was met with doubt in verse 4. The disciples have already seen Jesus feed 5,000 men besides women and children, and they still doubt his ability to do the impossible. In verse 5, Jesus asked them the same question that he asked them the first time he miraculously fed the multitude in Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 6, verse 38. He asked them again, how many loaves do you have? Brothers and sisters, this should have, this should have clicked in their minds. But they continue to express doubts. In the first miracles, they went into the crowd to see how much food was available. In this miracle, the disciples are called to give up what little they have. And he did, um, as he did the first time. Jesus took the, the small amount of food that was available and he thanked God for it. He, he then broke it and gave it to his men uh, uh, to give it to the crowd. Jesus, uh, as, it, as he did the, the, the first time, the loaves and the fish multiplied as he broke them. The miracle took place in the hand of the Lord. When the meal was finished and all were filled in verse 8, the disciples collected their leftovers. In the first miracle, they collected the 12 baskets full. In this miracle, they collect the seven baskets full in verse 8. That the basket referred to in the first miracle was a small basket that would hold an amount sufficient for one person. The word basket used here refers to a basket large enough to hold a man. It is the same word used for the basket that some men used to lower Paul down the outer wall of the city of Jerusalem when he needed to make a hasty escape. Remember in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. In this miracle, the amount of food that was left over was enormous. It could possibly have, have um, even weighted 250 kilograms. There are several lessons we can glean from this miracle. Uh, let me share some of them with you today. First of all, this miracle reminds us that Jesus is the universal Savior. Well, when Jesus fed the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, verse 35 to 44, the crowd was made up of Jews. It was just Jews. When this miracle is performed, Jesus is in a part of the country that is mostly Gentile. He wants his, his disciples to know that he came to save the people from every nation, tribe, language, and people. And yes, Jesus came as the Jewish Messiah, but he, he, he came knowing Jews would reject him. Isn't that what the Bible says, that those he came to did not receive him? But ultimately, Jesus came to this world to die on the cross for the sins of the people. Jesus came to give his life to whoever would trust him for salvation. He is the only savior. 
You see, there is no savior for the Jew and savior for the Gentile. There is no savior for the Chinese and savior for the Zulus. There is no savior for the white man and savior for the black man. There is one savior for the world. In other words, as I said this before, the thing that makes a homeless man and a man who has a house in Santon and has a corner office and is the CEO of a big company, the thing that makes them equal, first of all, is that they are made in the image of God. Secondly, is that they have the very same need. You see, brothers and sisters, I never want us to get to a point as a church where the CEO matters more than the men who cannot afford to even feed himself. I never want us to get to a point as a church where the CEO gets the better seat and the man who cannot feed himself gets the mat at the back. I never want us to get to a point where we think the man who gives a lot in this church is better than the man who, can't, who barely gives at all. I want us to get to a point where we are shaped by the biblical idea that every man is equal before God, that all are made in the image of God, that the dignity of man is not in his pocket, the dignity of man is not in the in how big the house is, the dignity of man is in the fact that he is made by God. And he needs to be saved. During the week, I was talking to a lady who uh, was outside, and, and then she left, and we had a conversation with, with the guys. Um, and we were, I, I was kind of disturbed that someone would, you know, would see their need as having uh, for our crowd that needs subtitles, I don't know how to translate this, but having sinyama, you know, a curse, yeah, <laughs> having a curse, right? And they are willing to pay as much as possible for that curse to be taken away. Now that is the unfortunate, unfortunate result of the spread of the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel tells people that their greatest need is for them to have as much money as possible. Brothers and sisters, whether you have money or you don't have money, the most important thing is for you to have God. Indeed, God blesses us differently, right? God blesses us differently. Some he blesses more with finances, some he doesn't. But that does not make it the fact that the one who has more money is more precious in the eyes of God. We should not view life with the eyes of the world. That is worldliness. It has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Jesus came to show that he is a universal savior. The world is in need of this savior. 
Secondly, what this miracle teaches us, it reminds us that Jesus is more than sufficient to meet the needs that exist in his people's lives. Consider um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. That, that says he is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or pray by the power that is at work in us. That, that verse reminds us that he's able to do anything. He's able to meet the needs in your life. Right? It, it does not matter how big it, it, it is, how, how tall your mountain is, how uh, deep your valley is. He is more than sufficient for the need. He's able to give you comfort through all the storms of life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul, in the midst of uh, you know, this thorn in the flesh, we don't know what the thorn was, but he says in the midst of that thorn, he prays three times, and the Lord does not answer his prayer to remove the thorn in his flesh. And then the Lord comes to him and says, My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes what we need to hear when we feel like or we are discerning that our prayers are not being answered is the Lord saying to us, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Again, he is able to empower you to do his will. He is able to walk with you every uh, mile of the way. He's able to be exactly who you need him to be in all the stages of your life. He, he supplies uh, our needs always. He needs uh, um, our needs exceedingly. And only he can do that. What, what, what this miracle teaches us as well is that this miracle reminds us that he, is, he has all that we need for the journey home. When the people were filled with Jesus, had his men collect the remnants of the meal and he sent the people away. What, what, what did they do with the seven baskets full of, of, of food? These baskets could hold a couple of hundred pounds, uh, you know, uh, and, 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 and kilograms of, 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 of bread each. And I'm just speculating here. But I think that the people were encouraged to take some with them so they would have enough along the way home. And praise his name. He has everything we need to see to see us uh, all the way home. You see, the Holy Spirit provides us with incentives to keep on going. He motivates us. He works in our lives. He strengthens us. Sometimes the way gets hard and the flesh gets weary. But God sees to it that we have everything we need to see us all the way home. The good Holy Spirit keeps uh, reaching into the bag of grace to hand out the riches of his master. None of his people will faint by the wayside. Every single one of them will make it home. And listen to me, brothers, what I'm saying is that I'm not saying you will not have a need, a physical need in life. I'm not saying sometimes you will, um, your finances will be too stretched. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you will get to a point. <laughs> you might get to a point where God provides for your finances all the way. But sometimes... You are called to trust him when your finances are stretched. You are called to trust him when your fridge is empty and the only thing that you see is butter and water. You are called to trust him in those times. It will get hard. This doesn't sound like a feel-good gospel, eh? It will get hard. 
but our Savior cares. Our Savior is with us. He will remain with us. He will continue strengthening us. He will teach us and prepare us for glory. This, this miracle also reminds us that we are a people of little faith. We are a people of little faith. The disciples had already seen Jesus feed a greater crowd with less food, but they still doubted him when the same problem arose. Now, we are also on the same way. Those men should have looked at the crowd and said, folks, don't worry. Don't worry about it. We, we know you are hungry, but we also know that Jesus has a plan to feed you. Just sit back and watch as he reaches into heaven's ovens and, and, and produces enough bread and fish for every one of you. We hope you are hungry. We, have you, we hope you brought your appetite because Jesus is about to spread the table and is going to be full. They should have reacted like that. How many times has the Lord come through for you? How many times has he moved the mountain for you? How many times has he brought you through your valley? How many times has he come through for you when there seems to be no way through? You know, we find situations in our lives, and I'm sure that many of you have been in situations where you, you say, how am I going to get through this? Hey, that situation is now in the past. But when another one comes, instead of looking back and seeing the faithfulness of God and saying, you know what? The Lord was faithful. He will be faithful. We still doubt. We still doubt him. We still think that he cannot do it this time. Yes, he did it that time, but this time is, is different. Yes, situations will be different, but we have the same Lord. Yesterday, today, forever. We would be better off, brothers and sisters, if we would just learn to trust him. And how much better off would we be if we adopted the attitude of Job in Job chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, when after all the tragedy in his life, the Bible tells us then Job arose and tore his rope and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. Uh, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How much better off, brothers and sisters, would we be if we adopted the attitude of Paul in the midst of this thought in the flesh, he said, uh, in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 9 and 10, he said, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Then he says this, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, finish the sentence, then I am strong. This miracle reminds us that God is not a stingy God. He proved more than enough uh, for those people, and it is, a desire, it is his desire to give you more than enough as well. This miracle teaches us that great things can happen if we just get the need into his hand. A small amount of bread and fish became sufficient for a multitude because they got it in his hands. Do you have a need? 
get it into the hands of Jesus today? Does your marriage need his touch? Get it into the hands of Jesus. Does your spiritual walk need to be restored and reinvigorated? Get it into the hands of Jesus today. Whatever the need may be, get it into the hands of Jesus. What are you looking at today? Are you staring at an impossible situation, wondering how it will turn out? Get it to Jesus. He is our caring Savior. Are you lost and in need of a Savior? Do you understand that the only way you will ever be saved is to come to the Lord Jesus by faith? Get it to Jesus. He's the Savior who cares. Brothers and sisters, we are not saved by the church. We are not saved by a denomination. We are saved by Jesus. We are saved by Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're Baptist. You can be born Baptist and die and go to hell. We are not saved because we are Baptist. We are saved because of Jesus. Baptist is just a way of identifying our theology. But Jesus is our Savior. Are your mountains high and your valleys deep today? Does your heart break under the load of you carry? Get it to Jesus. He's the Savior who cares. Whatever the need. If the Lord has spoken to your heart today, get it to Jesus. He's the Savior who cares. Amen. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you know the depths of our hearts and you still love us. You know our sin. And you still call us to repentance with arms wide open. You know our needs and you still provide according to your riches and glory. We trust you, Lord. But we want to grow deep in trust for you. In the midst of life it's trying times. We want to be marked by trust, characterized by a hope in you. The people that always say, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Help us, Lord, to trust in you at all times. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.